now part two, a conversation with Melba Pearson. She is a candidate for the state attorney for Miami-Dade County in Florida. Without further ado, let's continue the conversation. Uh, one of your, your the, the next prong I really want to deal with, and I think it, it is a great segue from what we're, you know, what we're just talking about is the transparency part. Mm-hmm. Uh, transparency is so important because a lot of it really comes down to perception, <laughs> right? And it's right. like you mentioned, uh, something happens and it takes three years, four years, five years for there to be any sort of response. And then the response is, oh, it was justified, right? right. Um, and it may very well have been. We're, we're certainly not uh, trying to indicate that it never is. Um, but talk to us about, in, in terms of the pillars uh, for your campaign, talk to us about your concerns in the area of transparency. Certainly. So the perspective I'm coming on of with regards to this is when I was deputy director of the ACLU of Florida, I spent three years in that role. We released a report called Unequal Treatment, and it can be found on the ACLU of Florida website, aclufl.org, in case people want to read it, because it's a very interesting and um, in-depth report on the state of criminal justice in Miami-Dade County. And what the report revealed was that Black Miamians received almost 300% worse outcomes than white Miamians at every stage of the criminal justice system. And black Hispanic Miamians were up to 600% worse outcomes than that of white Miamians. So when you look at that data, and that data was pulled between 2010 and 2014, this is telling you that the perceptions of the average everyday black person in Miami, which is the system is unfair to to black people, to people of color, is is memorialized in black and white. The numbers are there to support that, that position. So my plan, once I become elected state attorney, is to replicate that study with more recent data from 2018 to 2020 and use both of those reports as a roadmap and make sure that every policy that I'm doing, every hire that I'm making, every restructure that I'm doing within the office is with the aim of reducing and eventually eliminating racial disparities within the criminal justice system in Miami-Dade County, and then releasing a regular report card to the voters so that they can see and hold me accountable. Am I making disparities better or worse within this county? If I'm making it worse, then you know what to do four years from now. Vote me out because I work for the people. But if I'm making it better, then that's a mandate to continue doing what I'm doing and also improve on it so that by the time that I leave office, because I'm certainly not intending on being a 30-year incumbent, my goal is to do good work, create a new foundation, and train up the next generation and give them a path to aspire to and then move out the way and let them do the work. But that by the time that I conclude by my, my time in office, I have created systems that 
that push forward equity and push forward justice and equal justice within the county. And the only way to do that is to look at the numbers. Because I could talk about policies all day long. The proof is in the pudding. And if the numbers don't bear out what I'm doing, then obviously I'm doing something wrong. So that's the whole transparency piece. The people need to see what is going on and they need to be empowered with that information to make wise decisions at the polls, whether it's holding me accountable or other stakeholders within the system accountable, such as your mayor, your governor, your state rep, your state senator, people like that. Awesome. I love it. And I think that it it's very crucial, again, to public trust to, to feel that nothing's being hidden uh, right. when, when there is a concern that the concerns are properly addressed, not saying you're going to get everything that you want or the outcomes that you want, but at least there was a legitimate attempt. Right. <laughs> it, it was, it was legitimate. It wasn't just, oh yeah, we did this and, and that's it. And so I love that. I love the report card. I think that is so crucial. Um, they have been using that in the corporate world for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now being able to bring that into something like criminal justice, I think is very important because it also shows the public that you are paying attention to what's happening. You are, a, as, the, as the neutral party, right, uh, being able to be that check and balance on the police officers as well as the community. So I love it, love it, love it. We're going to actually pivot just a little bit. And I want to talk uh, about your third prong or a a third prong, let me say it like that, uh, of juvenile justice. I know that this is something that you're very, very passionate about. Uh, Juvenile justice is so broad. Uh, So first, talk to us about what what are some of the major components of juvenile justice that uh, from your campaign's perspective and, and certainly from your passion's perspective that you want to see a uh, change modified, improved, and so on. And what, what was it that made you say juvenile justice is definitely going to be one of those things that I'm looking at? So in Florida, and I'm not sure about other states, there are similar laws, but obviously uh, folks will implement them differently. But in Florida, we have something called direct file, which is where a juvenile is taken out of the juvenile system and placed into the adult system for certain levels of crimes. And it's within the prosecutor's discretion as to when they're going to direct file someone. Usually it, ha- you know, it has to be a felony, but there's no real mandate around the level of felony that can be. Uh, be involved. So for instance, I recently saw a case of a 17-year-old young boy who was charged with a grand theft auto, so basically stealing a car, and was sent to the adult system for that with the excuse that was given by the incumbent's office saying that, well, you know, they wouldn't be able to get the services they need in the juvenile system, so that's why we're sending them to the adult system, which is completely unacceptable because in the adult system, children do not get the same services. There is the possibility for them to be sentenced to a juvenile sanction, but they're still being supervised in adult court, which does not improve outcomes. It 
puts them at higher risk of suicide. When children are sent to the adult system, they often learn from more hardened people in the system, and that also increases the likelihood of them reoffending and reoffending in an escalated manner as opposed to them relay, re, re, staying in the juvenile system. So my viewpoint is that we need to treat kids like kids. Their brain develops you know, at a different rate. Their decision-making process is very different than that of an adult. So they need to be in the juvenile system to receive services. And we need to also embrace that that concept of a village because that's what it was back in the day, right? Like when we were growing up, <laughs> right? They, they, you know, if the neighbor saw you doing something wrong, they were going to tell your parents, and there was a possibility of you getting a whooping from the neighbor as well as your parents, right? So you know, with taking the you know. Uh, the hitting out of the scenario, it was the concept of the entire community looked out for a child and wrapped their arms around the child and didn't abandon them to the criminal justice system. We're seeing situations where kids get into fights at school and it's the police that are called and then they're sent to the criminal justice system as opposed to let's call the parents and let's send them home, let's send them to detention, let's suspend them. It just escalates so much further. So I want to roll all of that back and get to a place where we are having community-based solutions. So those grassroots organizations that work with kids, that provide mentors, that do after-school programming, they may not get the same funding from the state or the feds because they're a smaller program, but that doesn't take away the fact that they're doing great work. So I'd be creating a network of organizations that are already doing good work within the community and sending them referrals to deal with the kids on a juvenile level rather than sending them to adult court where they're not getting the same level of treatment. Now, there's some aspects and some times when it has to be sent to adult court. So if you have a case where a child commits a homicide, there's no provisions in the juvenile system for that to be handled. So that is something that would have to go to adult court. But looking at those types of cases, they're very few and far in between. So we have to figure out a way to deal with it, but we can't necessarily do that in a juvenile system. But barring that, all cases should be handled in the juvenile system, and I'm going to end the practice of sending kids to adult court except we're mandated by law. Awesome. I, I, I love it. And, I, and, and again, juvenile justice is, is just so broad, and, and thank you for that. I think it's, it's, it's very uh, critical that we really think about that, <laughs> the way right. that we that we are treating treating our children. Um, the the fourth, I won't say the last, because you have so much uh, <laughs> that that you are. I, I mean, so much great stuff. And and guys, I want to encourage you go to www.melba the number four miami.com. You can read her bio. You can get more in depth information on all of the pillars that she's running um, on her campaign for state attorney for Miami-Dade County there in Florida. Uh, the last area that I want us to talk about is bail reform. What are some things about the bail system uh, that when you become the state attorney there in Miami-Dade County that you're going to be working to change? 
So um, definitely check out my website. It's melbaformiami.com. So the word for melbaformiami.com. Oh, my apologies. I said, I thought you said number four. Okay. No, no, no. And, and people you are like, change oh, you it. do that? And I'm F-O-R. like, F-O-R. Yes, F-O-R. Um, and I definitely get into a little bit of a deeper dive on bail reform. And we're going to have more policy papers for those of you who are like super into policy and, you know, need something to read, whether it be 2 a.m. or 2 in the afternoon. Um, but so bail reform is one of the most critical parts of my platform because we have two systems of justice in America, one for the wealthy and one for the poor. And that is not justice, that is problematic. So we have a system in in, in Florida, as in many states, where if you're charged with a crime, the court sets a certain amount of bail that you have to pay in order to get released. And you can pay it in full, or you can pay 10% to a bonds person who then basically guarantees that you're going to return to court and then you're basically in their, you know, you have to report to them and check in with them. So let me just give you the example of, let's say I steal someone's iPhone. An iPhone is running around $1,000. In Florida, that would be a third degree felony that's punishable by five years in prison. So making up the number, let's say that bond for that particular crime is $5,000. If I was wealthy, I could hand the court $5,000 and go on my way. If I continue to report to the, uh, come to court every time there's a hearing, I show up for trial, I do everything I'm supposed to do. When the case is over, I get my $5,000 back and I go on my way. Now, if I'm someone who works at a big box store, I obviously don't have $5,000 laying around. So I can pay 10% to a bondsman. So, okay. I pay the $500 to a bondsman, wonderful. Well, here's the problem. I never get that $500 back no matter what I do. So if I attend every court hearing, I do everything I'm supposed to do, that money is completely lost. So that's kind of tough for a lot of people. Let's take it back even more. Let's say you've been unemployed or you're struggling and you've got kids to feed on that salary from a big box store you don't have the $500. So that means you stay in custody until your case comes up for trial or you resolve your case by taking a plea. So that is problematic on a number of levels because number one, while you're in custody, you're not showing up to work. So if you're not showing up to work, your boss is going to fire you. You get fired. Now you can't pay your rent. You can't pay your rent. You get evicted. You can't pay your car payment. And in Florida, if you don't have a car, you're not getting anywhere because our public transport is not where it's supposed to be. So you've now been completely thrown out of whack because you have no place to live, you have no job, and you have no transportation. So once your case is resolved, let's say the case gets dropped against you. Oops, it turns out that you know it was a mistake or the victim doesn't come forward or something like that now you have a situation where you're in a worse position than when you went into the criminal justice system so now you're in a position of reoffending because the bottom line is you've got to eat you've got to take care of your family and you're going to do it either lawfully or unlawfully but you've got to make ends meet one way or another 
So my thought process around bail reform is, number one, money doesn't assure safety. We've seen that in the case of R. Kelly, Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein. These folks are millionaires and continue to prey on the community because they could. So their money did not keep the community safe. So let's take money out of the equation and let's just get down to, are you a risk or are you not? Are you going to harm more people or are you not? Are you going to flee and never come back to answer the charges or are you not? If you have strong roots in the community, then let's release you to a program so that you can address the issues that got you into the system to begin with. Was it addiction? Was it mental health? Was it an issue of unemployment or underemployment? Let's help you and connect you with services to address those issues so that number one, you don't reoffend, and number two, you are being held accountable for the act that you may have have committed. So that's how I view Bay Reform because it's looking at the long run. If we are able to prevent new crimes from happening, we're keeping the community safe. We're saving the taxpayers money because now they're not paying extra in court fees and more judges and more prosecutors and police overtime. And victims are not being vict people aren't being victimized so everyone is better off in the end so that's why i feel so strongly about bail reform and looking at other states that have been moving in that direction they have seen a decrease in incarceration as well as enjoyed a decrease in crime awesome i love it i love it i love it thank you so much melba pearson for being here on the power of attorney podcast don't forget guys, www.melbaformiami, and that's the word F-O-R.com, <laughs> melbaformiami.com. When is the election? Uh, people need to go out, they need to vote. If you are in Miami-Dade County, I am encouraging you to vote for Melba Pearson for state attorney for Miami-Dade. Yes, so thank you so much for that. That means a lot to me. The election is August 18th. There's going to be early voting before that, usually the two weeks before that. And also keep your eyes out for a vote by mail. You can go on the Supervisor of Elections website. I know a lot of people are worried about coronavirus and all of that and may not want to go into public spaces, but don't let that dissuade you from voting. So make sure to request a ballot by mail by the Supervisor of Elections elections. So that way you can vote in the comfort of your own home, mail in your ballot, and make sure that your voice is heard. So the election is August 18th. You can check out my website. I'll make sure to have information about vote by mail on there as well. And if you have questions, I actually respond to the emails I'm sent. So please feel free to reach out on the website and donate because, you know, elections aren't free. This is a grassroots movement. This is not funded by the bail industry, obviously. This is not funded by large donors. This is everyday people who care about these issues who are contributing. So please contribute if you can, and you can do that on the website, melbaformiami.com. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. Well, guys, this is another awesome episode of the Power of Attorney podcast. You can uh, actually follow our podcast and subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all other platforms where podcasts are distributed. And so until next time, have a great day.